Hello and welcome to another episode of our Generation On Air. My name is Alex Bullimore and once again I am joined by our two regulars, Dan Lambert and Micah Chudley. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. Uh, so, so far this season we've had pretty good luck. Most of the time we've had a podcast, we've had something good to talk about. Maybe not so much this week. Uh, you know, performance against Birmingham was quite disappointing and certain aspects of the draw with Norwich was, you know, it won't leave you with that warm, fuzzy feeling that a 1-0 win will, you know. Uh, so, you know, let's be honest, it wasn't a fantastic week for us, but we've got out of it with a point in the end, which probably was quite a good result yesterday. We will get on to Norwich in a bit. And we will start with Birmingham. It's been an eventful day anyway for QPR Twitter, hasn't it, Dan? But, yeah. you know, ignoring all that, let's focus on the football. Um, Birmingham, quite disappointing. Robert starts ahead of Armstrong and Balligan and Clark still to remain the starting centre-back partnership, despite Dickey being fit on the bench. Um, but, it, you know, very quickly goes wrong, doesn't it? Yeah, I think, I think what... Um, yeah, everything basically went wrong. I mean, from injuries. Um, I think firstly, you've got to give credit to the opposition because I think actually they were were very good in this game. Um, but yeah, I mean, refereeing decisions, which I'm sure we'll touch on, didn't really go away at the time. Missed penalty with the Dykes. Um, yeah, nothing really kind of went our way, and yeah, it was kind of glad we got it over with um, as soon as possible. Yeah, so we had to make three substitutions essentially in the first 45 because uh, Johansson, Clark Sorter and Roberts all went off injured. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I guess, you know, this is the problem when you sign sort of injury-prone players and Stephanie Johansson's at the wrong end of his career. Uh, he struggled with an injury last season, apparently, and now he's played a lot of minutes. Uh, in a, a very demanding way this season, so you know it, it wouldn't. It's not exactly surprising that he's going to pull up the, perhaps with an injury. Clark Sorter again, uh, obviously an injury-prone player, and same with Roberts. Um, the the thing that sort of overrides with Roberts is that he is probably going to be in the squad for Wales, and you can quite understand him, Micah. I'm not saying he was phoning any performance in or faking an injury, but like you know if he doesn't turn up in a QPR shirt prior to the World Cup, you can't really blame him, can you, Micah? Uh, and just to say at this point, Micah, you are muted. That's embarrassing, isn't it? Um, was this like the 100th podcast we've done and I don't know how to use the mute button. Um, but I digress. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a bit... Um, it's something that I think is happening across the country. I've got, obviously... Unfortunately, all my friends don't support QPR. For some reason, they support other teams. I don't know why, but they, they do that. Um, <clears throat> and with that, you know, you've heard a lot of like fans say, oh, such and such players phoning it in for the World Cup, or he's trying to save himself. The, the fact of the matter is this happens towards end of seasons as well. Like, it's just typically that because everybody's a little bit more tired towards the end of the season, it's not as noticeable. Um, that's kind of the problem with having a World Cup in November. Um, I think we all, even Tyler Roberts, would probably agree that we've seen him play better than he has in the past, you know, three or four games, probably since Bristol City. Um, maybe subconsciously that is there, you know, especially for Wales, what is their first World Cup in 60 years or something like that? Something. Yeah, I mean, like this is yeah. you know, potentially a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for a lot of these Welsh players. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, it's it's frustrating, I suppose, from a QPR point of view. And maybe he's not phoning it in. Maybe maybe he's been playing with an injury. We don't know these type of things happen in football and we, we kind of never really find out. Um, but I, I think probably we'll see a much better version of him after the World Cup. Yeah, and I think we're quite... I don't know if lucky is the right word, but obviously Ilias Chair and Seni Diang, I mean, both different positions. So neither of them are phoning in their performances at the moment. You know, they're still putting in the effort, regardless of the fact that they are both also uh, on the cusp of making it into their first ever World Cup. 
and potentially their last, depending on you know how qualification qualification goes in the next couple of years. So you know that's we're lucky in a sense that Chair's still running about the pitch, putting in maximum effort all the time, um, even if it hasn't turned out perfectly this week. Uh, so focusing back on the game, Dan, they kind of Birmingham. To be fair to them, as much as we were poor, and I felt that we were so slow in getting started, and we didn't get started throughout the whole game really. But they executed their game plan almost to perfection, really, didn't they? They were frustrating. And even though they had moments of poor quality where they nearly let us in, you know, they, they did exactly what they set out to do, didn't they? Yeah. Um, I think the big thing that I was impressed with was their press. Um, it was very sharp. The likes of Chong and Hannibal from midfield kind of pressing uh, very aggressively. Um, they went man to man, which kind of stopped us in a way building out I mean like you say we weren't great on the ball anyway we were quite chaotic but I thought that was because mainly because of their press uh, and then the second half when we kind of got a bit uh, put them under a bit of pressure they they defended well in a, in a low block so yeah there was a it was a good performance from their point of view I thought yeah um, their first goal then Micah this is uh, another fluke really well not not another fluke I should just say this is a bit of a fluke, isn't it? Or at the same time, you know, is this going to be another instance of us failing to clear our lines quick enough from a corner? Um, to me, I'll be honest, it's a fluke. I think you can you can say that we need to clear the ball a bit quicker. I think that's that may be a fair assessment of it. But the the guy's kind of just swung like the his heel at it, and it's kind of just like looped over Senny. I saw some people um, some people suggest that Senny was too far off his line. Um, I don't know. I think a lot you see you see keepers kind of um, from these situations, they do stand a little bit further off their line just to push the team up the field when they're clearing it. I'm not a goalkeeping expert. So, you know, if anybody out there is and I'm wrong, please tell me. Um, he's, done it on a done... Few, he's done it on a few occasions there, that Blackburn goal. Do you remember the second phase? Yeah. First goal of the season? Thing is, uh, yeah, like, with that, that, is it well. you're not expecting to be chipped, are you? From that point, there's quite a few players in the way. Like we said, it's a fluky goal. He's come off the line. It's probably just to push the players up a little bit and trying to encourage them to get out. Yeah, because I, I mean, you're right. He he's done it, and I've noticed in games he does that a lot. Um, but I would say both the times he's been caught out have been freak goals for me. Um, I don't know that. I'm, I, I'm again. I'm far from an expert on goalkeeping, but I I do feel like it's a bit of a harsh criticism. I think trust is trusty, isn't it? Trusty. Um, he's just swung a heel at it, and it's it's a freak goal. It's gone in. If he does that hundred times, he misses ninety nine times. So, yeah, I think it's disappointing because obviously we had a slow start and they were all over us. But if they come out of the first fifteen minutes and it's nil nil still, you know. I, I was watching it on the TV and it didn't sound like St Andrews was absolutely bouncing. It sounded like a very quiet atmosphere. So you wonder... Half the stadium's closed, to be fair, isn't well, it? Well, yeah. <laughs> Even still, though, like you're 15th and you're beating at that time, like second in the league. They were quiet the whole game. Um, there was one thing I noticed as well, actually, picking up on something Dan said, because I did think they pressed quite well. I found it really uh, interesting, Birmingham, obviously having our old assistant manager, playing with a back three, um, obviously Sanderson on the right side of that back three, but they de- I thought they did press really well. And that was something that we said on the pod pretty much every week that we needed to do better. So I thought that that's interesting, just from a John Eustace perspective, just I wonder how much input he actually had on how we set up. Well, if you compare it, what I know if they you look at what they had up front, uh, you know, Scott Hogan would probably you could argue was would be more mobile than any of our strikers last season. Um, and that midfield is a lot more lively as well, especially the fact that we were playing field and Johansson by themselves most of the time. I think they must have had three midfielders, didn't they, Dan? Uh, yeah, they like. had Chong, Hannibal, and Bilok. Yeah, so yeah, you know, Belix sits, and then you've got those two other ones that have just. Hannibal got... was out, out like a, out like a rat half the time. Yeah, 
like yeah, he, un- he, undeniable he, energy. So like it's it's a kind of it's it's probably what they want. What, what I don't know. It's difficult to say, isn't it? But with the p- personnel that we had last season, we probably wouldn't be able to sustain that sort of performance across ninety minutes. We probably wouldn't be able to try and press like that across the forty-five minutes. Really, yeah, it's true. <clears throat> it's true. Um, yeah, no, because I say that because obviously in terms of the shape, because we we kind of had a sort of false kind of five-three-two at times as well. Like Willock would go up and play alongside Dykes at times. So like it's kind of like maybe in the shape because I know Warburton was very much a a four-five-one, four-three-three, forty-one type manager. And maybe the shape was was a Eustace thing, you know. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I, I just thought it was quite interesting seeing what yeah. John Eustace team looks like yeah it's a fair point uh dan you mentioned him just there and you mentioned him plenty of times on the group chat on the night as well it was incredibly frustrating hannibal yellow carded very on in the early on in the game and then made a succession of fouls that didn't warrant a yellow card makes a very blatant second yellow and then gets subbed off straight away in to be fair to him a clear sign that Eustace has really switched on as a manager. Yeah, I mean, I think I remember saying at the time, just before he did the incident, like I was surprised he wasn't off before then. Um, yeah, I don't know really how the referee let him get away with it, but um, I mean, that was, I found that one baffling, the last one before he got substituted. And then Dickie, I think, comes over to kind of tell him that he's already on a yellow, he should be sent off, and then he kind of gets booked. But like when Deeney calls out. Yeah, exactly. The one chair, occasion chair, that chair happens. Yeah. yeah, and then when Dean equals chair, um, can't remember what it was, but he didn't he didn't get booked in for, for that. So you've got to remember as well yeah. at that point that chair is the captain. So if you're saying that uh, Dickie, the ref is saying that Dickie shouldn't be doing that because he's not the captain, and the only person that should go up to the referee and complain is the captain. I think Deeney is the captain for Birmingham, isn't he? So I, if, don't, I don't know, but yeah, you maybe. know, likely that he yeah. is. Yeah, I think so, he is. You know, you've got Chair and Deeney, both captains there, and Deeney's like a, saying abuse to Chair, and he just gets away with it because he's Troy Deeney. Um, you know, it, it is a little bit ridiculous, but it, it, what I found annoying about that is that the one time that we sort of try and get involved in the dark arts or whatnot and sort of remind the referee, I mean, if that happened against us, let's say, you know, Sam Field was on a yellow card, did that against Preston. God, you wouldn't the referee couldn't be able to move probably for Preston players, and none of them will probably think, get a yellow I think card. We've got a, um, I think we've got some sort of rule that the club, I'm pretty sure Clive said it, um, about like approaching referees, <clears throat> general behavior. I can't remember the exact yeah, well, term he used or whatever. The referees have gone on record saying that we're the nicest team to referee or something like that. Oh, I didn't... That's that's, that's something uh, that Clive has mentioned in the past, which kind oh, of, oh, okay. like, yeah. in this league of shithousery and piss spoiling yeah. it to be sort of the nice team is not satisfying a lot of the time sometimes you need to be a little bit horrible uh and clearly we just don't have that or the club just don't allow them to do it um <clears throat> the second goal um i can't really remember too much about it apart from at the time i kind of thought that ethan led didn't cover himself too much in too much glory kind of got done a little bit too easy. Yeah, I think for me, he has to let him down towards the byline rather than showing him inside. Um, he hasn't kind of jockeyed him correctly. Um, but you can't, I don't think all the blame goes on him because we didn't really have any bodies in front of the ball to kind of block block the shot in the first place. Uh, so it was kind of a, a trickle effect of um, like collectively bad defending. Yeah, and then we have the penalty, Micah. Um I personally thought we got a bit lucky with this decision, but, you know, whatever. Ref gives us a penalty, that's fine. What is this penalty for you? Is this a good save by Ruddy or has Dykes given him a nice height for it? Um, I want to say, first of all, friend of the podcast, Ethan Laird, uh, he's done brilliantly to win that penalty. The the His foot has not even come close to Ethan Laird's head. He's gone down, holding his face. Brilliant, brilliant. We love Ethan. Um, I, at the time, um, I'd, I'd thought, oh God, not a good penalty, uh, decent height for the, 
for the goalkeeper. Watching it back, I actually don't think it was that bad a penalty. I think I think he's hit it quite hard. Um, it is a decent height for the keeper, but I think um, I think it is a good save. Uh, yeah, I, I can't. Again, I'm, I I know nothing about goalkeeping. I can't really give you guys great. I always um, think right if you penalties, if you sort of imagine the, the the middle part of the goal that just sort of runs right that right down the sort of middle, so uh, horizontal. That's where most goalkeepers are going to be able to get across and make a save. If you do it a little bit lower, they've got to go across and down. And if you yeah. do it a little bit higher, they've got to go across and up. Whereas if you just do it across that sort of horizontal line across the middle, they've just got to dive across. Do you know what it is? With, with, it's, it's, the thing with Dykes is Dykes always hits his penalties really well. Like Dykes isn't like a Jorginho that's going to just like try and stroke it and mm. sort of... Uh, deceive the keeper like he will smack that ball so he always hits the penalty as well so I think it gives you kind of the perception that it's a great penalty but I'm watching it back now it's, it's a pretty good time for the keeper in it yeah I think the, the only thing for me was that that was what well, what penalty did he have the other day at home against someone that Reading Reading uh, when he when he stepped up for, for the Reading penalty Cardiff, that yeah, I was there Cardiff. I was actually there for the Reading one. And when he was stepping up for that, I generally thought he wasn't going to score. And he proved me wrong. And it was lovely. When he was stepping up for the Birmingham one, I thought, oh, he's got this. And <laughs> it's saved. So, you know, like, it, it, you know, I, I partially blame myself. Um, the craziest thing about the penalty for me is that John Ruddy is still playing football. Absolutely. Like, that guy was 36 when he played for Norwich in the Premier League. <laughs> like, I that He's... Ne- <laughs> No, I can't. I can't believe it. How does anyone know how old he is? No one knows, Michael. Thank you. I think he's 37, 38. Nah, we've no. got to check his passport, Dan. He's got to be at least 50 at this point. This is ridiculous. Um, okay, so second half, uh, the, the, obviously the substitution of Johansson is made because of the injury. I was probably thinking anyway, at that point, a sub needed to make be made anyway someone had to come on it probably was going to be Amos the most sort of obvious one to add a little bit of energy into the game which is what we were desperately lacking and to be fair to him he does add energy it's just unfortunate that he ended up falling over the ball more often than not like it was kind of he was trying it felt like he was trying too hard maybe Dan yeah I think I think also that kind of speaks to his technical ability as well for me I mean he's not the most Technically gifted midfielder we've got in our squad. Um, he's good. He's a good presser. Like you say, he's got good energy. Um, but when it comes to kind of, I don't know, moving the ball in tight areas or kind of deliveries, particularly when he's on the right-hand side against Birmingham, um, yeah, it wasn't really there for me. Uh, but it was, yeah, frustrating. Uh, and, Micah, just final point on Birmingham before we move on to Norwich. Um, there was a point made by Flo Lloyd Hughes on Twitter that, I think it was her. I might just be crediting this to someone. But why not? Just give it to her. Why it's not? gonna be we're just gonna say it's her. Um <laughs> we keep rocking up at away games, or like very recently, you know, Luton, Birmingham, to a certain extent, Norwich, and just sort of dropping these really lethargic, soft performances. You know, we just can't get away with doing that throughout the season. Is this you know, is it what Early days, but is this something that worries you? Is this something that you would be looking at and thinking, we have got to rotate a little bit more? We can't just be playing the same players all the time, regardless of injuries? Uh, it's interesting because we've had some really good away performances this year and we've had some really, I wouldn't even say bad, but like you said, slow and kind of lethargic. I think it's a mentality thing. I think last year we kind of benefited from the fact that nobody really thought we would be up there that season or people gave us an outside chance, Um, which, to be fair, we did have this season. But the thing is, one thing we never did last season was actually get into that top two. And, you know, it kind of has that different aura, doesn't it? Oh, we're playing first in the league today. We're playing second in the league today. So naturally, your opponents are going to be more up for it. They're going to want to you know, they're going to want a big scalp. On top of that, it's, it's Friday. The last two I'm assuming you're talking about is Luton and um, uh, Luton and Birmingham, who we just played, obviously. 
I think was was Luton on TV or was it just it on was the... it was it well, it was yeah. Red Button, wasn't Red it? Button. And that's what I mean. It's it's two games. We're top and second of the league or whatever, and they're on TV. Like we're coming up against teams. They're gonna. They they just want to get into us. They want to prove that they can beat the team in the top two. I think we have to adjust to that kind of mentality. Adjust to being the the aggressor in games. Um, yeah, yeah. But th- that's the thing. That last night against Norwich, and I guess it's difficult because obviously Norwich is a side that are trying to be up there as well. We had a very uh, low amount of possession, didn't we? I, but when you go to places like Birmingham, you're kind of hoping that we'll get on the front foot a little bit more and be that aggressive side and play it, not play it like it's a home match, but you have got to be sort of, we are up there for a reason. It's not just a case of turning up, we're going to win. We're going to turn up, we're going to play well, we're going to execute whatever it is Bill set out as a game plan and we're really going to go at them. Otherwise, you know, like I, I just felt sorry for the two thousand odd QPR fans that made the journey up on a Friday night. Probably weren't getting home that day because trains are going to get cancelled and stuff like that. And you know, the team just sort of drop a deuce on the pitch, and that's it. Uh, moving I on. Thought, oh, sorry. Go on. No, I was just going to say. I thought when we were on the front foot, though, I thought their back three was pretty, um, uh, pretty perfect. Really, I thought. Um, Sanderson, I thought he was brilliant. Um, Trusty was good, and Harley Dean won his aerial duels. So I think there was a, as much as we probably could have got on the front foot more, I think uh, it was quite hard to get past them as, as it was. Right then, moving on to Norwich, um, let's just have a look at what the teams were. So obviously, we make a big deal about these three injuries. So Amos, Dazelle, and Dickey all come in. Amos playing slightly further forward in that, uh, I guess, role that the, the other 10 role. Um, do you remember all, all those games ago when we used to play him as our lone 10 and people are like really crying about it? That feels like 5,000 years ago. I mean, like at the time, I think it was justified that people were upset about it, um, but never mind. Willock made the bench and of course did come on after 57 minutes, uh, but the bench is quite weak apart from Willock. Uh, and we, I have seen another thing on Twitter. Someone named that triple substitution of uh, Adoma, Bon, and Shadipo as the worst triple substitution you'll ever see. Uh, wow. So, you know, I, that's maybe being a bit harsh, but you can see that a little bit of uh, bad injury form in our squad, and all of a sudden we are back to scraping the bottom of the barrel. Um, but I would say it was a better start in comparison to the Birmingham game, like I said, you kind of want to be on the front foot a little bit more. You want to bloody the nose of the opposition when you're playing away from home and get at them a little bit. I wouldn't say we bloodied the nose. I'd say this was more of just like a light scratch. Oh, like, but it was still better, I'd say. Um, that, Micah, um, you had some interesting thoughts on uh, Tim. <coughs> excuse me, on Tim. He got very excited in the first two minutes and decided to try and kill one of their players. Yeah, that was funny. Though, in, in fairness, um, Sky showed another angle after the game. He actually wins the ball. He got the ball, yeah. Yeah, which is quite funny. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it's... I've said it before, the, the guy's 19 and he plays like he's 19, you know. We, there, there's so much to be excited about with him and we, we just have to curb that enthusiasm sometimes. Um, I thought he had a decent game last night. He wasn't my man of the match. Sky gave him man of the match. He wasn't my man of the match, but I thought he had goalkeepers, a decent game. Both keep, goalkeepers had a big claim to be a man of the match. Either one yeah, of them. I, like, yeah, I felt done the same. It. I felt the same. I think that save, that Angus Gunn save from Dykes is a really good save. Yeah. Then. Yeah, that's a really good set. Like he's got across the goal really quickly there. He's a crop. He's behind the line as well, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Everything apart from his hands behind the line. He's just at that point, it was clear we we're not scoring. We're not winning this game. Mm-hmm. We're going to walk away with a draw, and that might be it. Um, but you were sort of saying something about you uh, in the group chat last night. Your dad was um, said some wise words about Tim. Yeah, no, he says, he says, um, I wouldn't say exactly what he said, but he said something along the lines of every time um, you want to have a go at him or give up on him, he'll do something mind blowing. And like, that's, <laughs> I mean, that was him last night. He'd give the ball away three times and then you'd be like, oh, get him off. 
And then suddenly, like, he'd nutmeg the centre mid and play, like, a 25-yard pass out to Laird, and you'd be like, wow, he's quality. Um, but, he's, again, he's 19, you know? Like, we, we've seen enough kind of young players at QPR be raw and then kind of sort of polish those edges over time. So it's, it's, it's nothing new. It's just a process, really. Except that, you know, this is a process for Aston Villa to uh, fulfil because there's no way he's coming back to us. So, well, you know. I was going to say it, but <laughs> the manager did say something about not developing teams for other clubs. But, um, <laughs> but look, if he, if he does well for us, it's, it's what it is. That's football. Yeah. Uh, Dan, Timmy Pukki, obviously a very good striker. And I think in every aspect, apart from finishing, had a pretty good game last night. But he really didn't want to score which is quite weird, as Sky kept reminding us that he has, at that before the kickoff, four goals in four games against us. And we, you know, did what we normally do and present him with a couple of very scorable opportunities. Yeah, I was surprised he didn't. I think the big one was the one against the post and hitting some of the post. Um, yeah, I was surprised he didn't score. I don't think he's in the <clears throat> best um, run of form in his, in his career. Um Josh Sargent is the one. That's... How many, sir? I think it's two goals he's got this season. Oh, is it? Damn it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's Josh Sargent. <laughs> Josh Sargent is the one that's kind of got all their goals this season. He was out injured, wasn't he? So, yeah, he's probably lacking that sense. But I thought his movement was all right to create the chances. I thought he did all right, um, especially in the first half up top. But yeah, I was we the fortunate we were quite fortunate that the goalpost uh, saved us on a few occasions. We we of course as well, you know, fortunate for the goalpost on two occasions. But Senny was fantastic. He was when asked and when there was a save to be made, he made that save. And you know, if there was one positive to walk away from last night, Micah, is that he is brilliant and, you know, start him in the World Cup. Don't start that Chelsea rubbish <laughs> goalkeeper. He he's can't easily... I'll die on that hill. <laughs> <laughs> he can't get Kepper out the side. Kepper! <laughs> Mate. Absolute oh, sense. Yeah. Start Senny in goal and you'll win the World Cup. Yeah, he's... he's, he's uh, Just I don't take it to penalties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I love Senny. I love him. He, he was really great last night. Um, it's nice because I feel like, well, to be fair, he's had his moment. He scored a goal. But um, I feel like all of our best players kind of have had their moments on TV or have had their moments in the media or whatever. I feel like other than his goal, he's not really had his moment for his for how good a keeper he is. So it was nice kind of last night, people seeing how good he is. He's not perfect. Don't get me wrong. He's not a perfect keeper. There's definitely still some areas of his game he needs to improve. But for this level, I don't think there's very many keepers better than him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dan Willett came on and did what he has done so far this season in that I wouldn't say he was outstanding, but he reminds us that he is a fantastic footballer and nearly scores the winning goal. And, you know, that all leads to the chance that Dykes get and the amazing save from Gunn. Um, but, yeah, lovely to see him back on the pitch just sort of doing what he has done so far this season, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that chance that you talk about, it was like kind of <clears throat> that split second of um, you changed the acceleration and then kind of dry, um, brought us out of the pitch. But even the shot, I, don't, I can't remember how, how how far out it was, but kind of the precision to, to hit in the bottom corner, obviously, albeit hit the post. Um, yeah, it was a good chance and he, um, he definitely helped us going forward in the second half. But then again, you, you see, I think there was a counter we had at the, in the second half from a goal kick and he was kind of, chasing after it and there was, there was a split second where I thought please don't injure, injure yourself again because um, obviously it was his hamstring wasn't it Yeah. Um, so yeah we need to kind of manage his minutes accordingly but no it's good to have him back yeah um, a few other things to sort of round up on this game uh, apparently Todd uh, Cantwell tracked back a few times I don't know if you noticed that listen to Don Goodman on the commentary but it sort of came up every five seconds it was <clears throat> almost equivalent to uh, Anthony Gordon's birthday. And it was driving me up the wall. I mean, you know, player runs about the pitch, so what? Um, uh, I thought on a couple of occasions, we, you know, we hold on to the ball a little bit too long for what what I'd like to see from us. I think Dykes is guilty of it. And to be fair to him, Tim is also guilty of it. Um, not quite releasing it at the right time. 
and just sort of, you know, uh, having a problem with that, uh, giving the ball away too often. But what I really wanted to talk about <clears throat> before we move on is the Zalan Amos. Now, you know, if Steph's going to be out for a little bit of an injury, one of them's going to have to come in and fill that spot. Um, if you look at the, both their games, you'd probably say that Dazelle's closer to what Steph could potentially provide in in the passing sense. But then, you know, this season, Steph has also been pressing higher up the pitch. So then you've got that aspect from Amos. So, Micah, neither one of them, though, really laid down a marker, in my opinion, and sort of said to Bill, you should be starting me ahead of the other next week. Yeah, um, <clears throat> Amos, I, I thought uh, Amos, he did put himself about at least, but just not really, it's, it's kind of that first season Amos again, I just wasn't really sure what he what he brought last night. Dizel, I was especially disappointed in because I think this season he has improved. And I thought last night was an opportunity for him with Steph out to kind of be like, look, like you guys don't need to worry when Steph's, injured I'll step in and I'll do a job um I I didn't really feel like he had any impact on the game at all um so it's a shame it's a shame for both of them to be honest with you because I feel like Bill has spoke about how important he does feel the two of them can be and um you know there's no bigger stage than away at Norwich on Sky Sports and they both sort of squandered that opportunity a bit I feel yeah especially as the Zell well went with the bold choice of wearing long sleeves, which I, I've never, I've always been in the opinion that the long sleeve design for error just looks awful. Like it doesn't matter what kit we've had. It just looks weird. But, yeah. you know, you, if you rock up in long sleeves and you don't go with the sort of traditional underlayer now, you, you've got to drop a good performance. <laughs> like I think that's sort of like an eye catch. It's like when they first started turning up in like bright yellow boots you've got to yeah. you can't just sort of wear that and get away with it you know um, it's like when someone shows up like with mercurials on for sunday league game like you yeah. have to put 10 out of 10 there's like so there's something different there what why are you trying to be different from the rest of us but you know it is what it is uh and then right at the end of the game um uh, we are running out of time in this zoom chat so I won't ask any of you about this but i will just say that chance at the end from grant hanley my my heart was in my mouth and I think you, you'll both agree that that was an absolutely horrible moment and if they won it from a corner that they were allowed to take an injury time after we weren't allowed to take a corner at the end of the first half regardless of the fact that we took it slowly it was still you know we should have been allowed to take that corner they by the same token then shouldn't have been allowed to take their corner but that is it for Nor Norwich and the next thing you're going to hear it's a fantastic little interview I did earlier with uh, the editor of the Liquidator podcast. Um, so that is what you're going to be hearing next. Okay, and now we turn our attention to West Brom on Saturday. And to help us preview this game, we've got Adrian Goldberg, editor of the Byline Times podcast, and more importantly for this segment, editor of the Liquidator podcast. Adrian, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy day to come and talk to us and give some insight into West Brom. Now, listen, QPR away is always a big away day for the baggies. Obviously, relatively easy to get to if you're living in the West Midlands, down the M40. There's a lot of exiled baggies in London as well. So we usually have a good following there. I love QPR stadiums in a lot of games at the ground over the years but I just love it I love the tightness of it I love the proximity to the pitch I know not everybody will agree and people talk about great stadiums and they reference I don't know Spurs new ground or Old Trafford for me QPR is one of the great stadiums of English football you absolutely flatter us you really do considering us home fans squeeze in and as a taller fan it's a little bit difficult and painful in more that ways than one to watch QPR sometimes um, but let's get right into West Brom. You've got a new manager, a very high fancy manager, Carlos Corbran, uh, just two games in. Have you seen a bit of a improvement already under his um, management? Yeah, absolutely. The first game against Sheffield United, he sent out the team that had lost the previous game 
against Millwall. Same starting 11, same formation, as if to say, go on then, I'm going to give you one more chance as you were. And Sheffield United were 2-0 up after 23 minutes. And we did show a little bit of fighting spirit in the second half, but really only after the game was finished. And my co-host on the podcast, Chris Lepkowski, said it was like watching a Premier League team playing against a lower division team. Sheffield United were just able to keep us at bay. But three days later, Blackpool at home, a 1-0 win, and you could already see the difference. It looked as though we were coached, and that was one of the big criticisms of our team under Steve Bruce. We occasionally played very well. We hadn't been playing rubbish all season, but we weren't winning games. We were conceding sloppy goals. Against Blackpool, we looked organised, it was a possession-based game. Possession's only good if players make runs. Players were making runs. So I don't want to get too carried away. And we've seen it with this set of players before, that a new manager comes in, there's a little bit of improvement, and then they go back to their bad old ways. But, yeah, a slightly worryingly for QPR. I think we are showing that there is some influence there. And just a few more days under the training ground with Cool Brown, I think hopefully we'll see a very competitive Albion team against QPR. Okay, um, so Steve Bruce then, were you happy to see the back of him? Oh yeah, um, Bruce was always a lazy, lazy, lazy appointment. Apparently Ron Gourlay, our chief executive, who's notorious for his time at Reading, said that there was no recruitment process, he just picked up the man he knew was right for the job and it was in his phone. I mean, it's laughable that you've got a business, any kind of business, of our size operating in 2022 that recruits like that for such a senior post. And Bruce didn't turn it round. There was no Brucey bounce after Valerian Ismail was sacked last winter. I thought he should have gone at the end of the season. He did a reasonable job steadying the ship, but we'd actually fallen from fifth to 12th by the time he had left. There was no turnaround. Gave him the benefit of the doubt because you want to get behind the team. And although the performances were good, we couldn't score goals. The way he set the team up, we had wide players, but not enough people in the middle. And over time, the hard luck stories started to mount. The goals conceded started getting sloppier. And when things started going into reverse, he had no answer. So I've got nothing against Steve Bruce. I think he's plainly you know, a nice guy, but really should have ended at Newcastle. It was a bad mistake to get him. And uh, I'm sad to say, for his sake, that we're, we're glad to be rid of him. Yeah. Um, it, just quickly, is it true about... I, I saw thing, some things on Twitter about him recruiting people that were very close to him, players that sort of lived next door and stuff like that. Was that... Great piece in the Athletic by Elias Burke. And Albion used to be famous for having a great scouting structure dan ashworth who later went to brighton was at england now at newcastle which obviously is indicative of the repute with which he is held in the game dan ashworth used to be head of our uh, academy and scouting structure and it was really really good since he left which is quite a few years ago now he's never been adequately replaced and our recruitment is frankly shambolic it's amateurish so in the summer our signings were players who either Ron Gourlay, the chief executive, knew or who had been involved with the previous clubs or who Steve Bruce had known. And after we failed to sign two players on deadline day, one of whom, Onoma from Fulham, who was coming on loan, who was actually, he'd passed his medical. He was waiting in a hotel room in Birmingham and we still didn't get that over the line. I've no idea what, it was, you know, really bad cock up that's never been accounted for. We then discover that Eric Peters, who we signed on after transfer deadline day, is one of the two, either Eric Peters or Martin Kelly. I think it's Eric Peters, lives next door to Steve Bruce. <laughs> so that tells you something about our recruitment structure. Peters actually isn't bad, but we're signing two guys out of contract because nobody else wants them because we've missed our two targets on transfer deadline day. Oh, where are we going to get another player from? Oh, it's all right. I got one next door. <laughs> Comedy. I mean, it is that is you know in the modern game that is absolutely unbelievable. That something like that would actually happen. Um, let's talk about some protests then. Uh, the group action for Albion, which you've said you're completely behind, um, spoke out against the ownership of the club. Uh, I assume this is going to be a bit of an ongoing story throughout the season. 
So just uh, sort well, of, I hope not. I hope they walk away and you know just give the club back to the fans. Of course, but... of course, of course. Yes, yes. Uh, that isn't going to happen. No. So we have a, an owner who took over the club in I think 2016, Guachen Lai. We were told he was a billionaire. It turns out that he didn't have any money to invest in the club. And in fairness, he never said that he would invest money in the club. He spent more than 200 million quid to buy the club, which was probably overpaying by about 40 or 50 million even when we were in the Premier League it was a ridiculously high valuation we're probably worth now I spoke to somebody who's been involved in football investment we're probably worth about 40 million but he's had offers over the years to sell decided they weren't big enough maybe offers of around 80 90 million I'm sure he'd bite your hand off now if you offered him that but the situation has become slightly murkier now there's talk of the supporters talk about £12 million having gone missing. I don't think that's strictly accurate, but our former owner, Jeremy Peace, borrowed £3.7 million from the club. That, with interest, is now £5 million. That's never been repaid. And when Lai bought the company that owns West Brom, he inherited that £5 million debt. So there's certainly £5 million quid, which could be going into the football club that isn't. Additionally, a further £5 million was then taken out of the football club to prop up one of his businesses. It really is as simple as that, one of his businesses that was struggling. He was originally due to repay that loan of nearly £5 million last September, September 2021, 14 months ago. Didn't repay it. We're now assured that the money will be paid in December. But um, I think you, you, you'll be looking out for... Rudolph and the sleigh and have more chance of seeing that in the sky than the five million pound arriving at the Hawthorns. I could be wrong, but that's 10 million quid. The other two million I won't bore your listeners with because it's a very Albion story. But, you know, there's 10 million quid that could have been available for team strengthening, which has gone out of this football club. He's responsible directly for at least half of that. And at 12 minutes against Blackpool, because people are adding up to the 12 million Twelve minutes against Blackpool, people turn on their mobile phones to shine a light on this debt and this situation. I, I don't know if fans are planning to do it again against QPR. I hope they are. I hope we do it at every game. And if we do, I'd like to think that your excellent supporters at QPR would have enough sort of fellow feeling as fans to to join in with us because you know we, we all want our team to win, but ultimately we all know how important football is to all of us as a community and as a sport, and we want our clubs to be running a sound footing. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, 100%. I spoke to a Wigan fan a couple of weeks ago, and he was going on about their troubles that they've had. And they, this was just before the news broke that they haven't paid their players at some point this season. And he was really, he sounded really hopeful for the future. And it was gutting to hear the news that eventually sort of came out a few weeks later. Um, there, there was also some news about the... the fans are taking some action to protect the stadium as well. Yeah, so supporters, uh, a, a small Albion's, uh, it, there's a whole layer of companies, as there often is in these situations, but one of the companies that, that owns West Brom, 12% of the shareholding of that is still owned by minor shareholders, and they've done a lot of work behind the scenes to bring some of these issues to light. And shareholders for Albion have initiated a process whereby... The local authority, Sandwell Council, has been asked to list the stadium as an asset of community value. And you can do that for any kind of building in your community that is valuable to the community. It doesn't stop it being sold, but if the owners want to sell it, then they have to, if it is listed as an asset of community value, they have to make an offer to the community And if that offer from the community matches any offer they've had, then they have to, they can't just sell it to the other offer. So they have to take this offer into account. So it doesn't stop the ground being sold per se. I mean, if the ground was sold for 8 million quid, let's say, where would we as fans get 8 million quid? But it does put a stop on it. It does delay it a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something that is just important to set a marker down as well. You know what? People have said to me, you know, this guy's in China. He doesn't care about Albion fans singing and chanting his name. But I think as supporters, whoever we support, it's about pride. It's Mm. about saying we as fans are not going to be taken for a ride. And 
just let it go by and just ignore it. We as fans are going to say, we've got our pride. We still support our club. We love our team. We just don't like you. Can you please yeah. go away? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, sounds spot on. Uh, so let's turn attention back to on-the-field matters then. Obviously, not at the right end of the table uh, at the moment. Do you think... I did originally write, do you think there's like a potential for a Nottingham Forest-style turnaround? Or what would be your sort of hopes and dreams for the rest of the season? At the start of the season, I thought Albion had the players to finish top two. Now, that's partly based on my, you know, many years watching football. So, you know, I'm obviously a bad judge. Uh, but also, I am a natural optimist. Chris, my co-host, said, Top six, we should be top six. And when you look at our budget, I think we're funded to finish about fifth in the championship. We were on our last season of parachute money, so we should be competitive. And we have got some good players. We've got the likes of Jed Wallace, who was probably one of the best players in the championship last year with Millwall. Swift at Reading, who is much admired. And we've got quite a few players like ex-QBR player Matt Phillips, you know, who from the outside, people would say, oh, you know, they're, they're quite good. I've seen enough of this team now to think I've I've massively <laughs> overestimated them. But we should be doing better than we are. Yeah. But we are where we are. And I kind of think for Corbran, I really like Corbran. I buy into what he's trying to do with the team. I buy into his philosophy of football, which is about holding on to the ball, which is being flexible, not only game by game, but flexible within matches. I want to hear coaches talking that kind of talk. So for me, success by the end of the season is finish fourth from bottom, get Corbran to get his feet under the table. He'll have one transfer window in January and then hopefully he'll stay and we'll get another transfer window under our belts next summer and he'll have something to say about the recruitment. But from where we are, I honestly don't think a Nottingham Forest style revival is likely, very, very unlikely. But I do think we're better than bottom three in the yes. championship that's a disgrace really yeah. for, with, with the resources that we've we've had and frittered away but we you know we've still got a very high wage bill and the players that we've got with coaching with motivate motivation should be able to perform better and qpr have proved you haven't you under beal yeah. i've got to say by the way i can't tell you how cheered i was he turned down Wolves. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. Excellent. Good man. <laughs> we were pretty glad as well. It was a horrible <laughs> couple of days. It really was. Um, you know, just when you sort of think we've got something good, all of a sudden there's all these very credible news stories that sort of floated around. So, um, yeah. yeah. And the good, thing, what, the good thing about what he's done at QPR is that that has been – I mean, I, I've kind of got a feeling that QPR a few years ago had a big reset – they said, we're not going to be paying the big wages. We're not going to be paying the big money. We're going to focus on development. We're going to bring in our best, bring in the best loan players we can, develop our younger players. And I think Beale, in a sense, has been the beneficiary of a process at QPR, a very intelligent process under Les Ferdinand. So I think that's been building for a few years. But obviously, he's got great tactical now. He's got great motivational skills. And QPR certainly aren't one of the best funded teams in terms of wages in that division but they're doing really well so all credit to him yeah absolutely spot on so you mentioned they're getting the best loan players and developing players that perhaps have been sort of not have been removed from other teams let's say um so you sort of put me on the right track about this tim urabinum i always tim forget the name Urabunum. Urabunum. Yeah. I, I get it wrong every time uh and sam field uh as yeah. well Let's focus on Irabunum because you met, said that this was uh, the start of the decline for you. So, yeah, well, uh, please so people obviously associate him with Villa from where he is on loan at the moment, uh, along with Wolves, our hated rivals. You know, it's kind of, I guess for you, it's what is it? You know, who do you hate most, Fulham or Chelsea? You know, Probably you Chelsea. Act yeah yeah i mean we don't play them that much but we just we don't like them yeah yeah well we've got two chelsea's on our doorstep <laughs> Villa and Wall, so let's put it like that and uh it, what happened was we had a i mentioned that since dan ashworth our academy structure has been really allowed to deteriorate got worse and worse and worse and then we had our last technical director 
was a guy called Luke Dowling. People might know him from his work in inverted commas at, at Watford. And Dowling came into the Albion and upset a lot of people. And we'd got a system at the club where there was a, quite a, a closeness between the, the development teams, between the academy and the first team. He didn't like that. He made a lot of the people in the academy feel less than valued. So in quite a short period of time, we had quite a lot of academy coaches and academy players go off to Villa. And I can't tell you how much that hurts. That really grinds with me. It grinds me that we upset people in our academy anyway, and we'd turn away people or make people feel unwanted who you know, want to do their best for the Albion. For them then to go to Villa, horrible, horrible. And Luke Dowling, from all I understand within the club, was responsible for that. Uh, we've reached uh, last season, the final of the, is it the Premier League Cup? The, the kind of all the oh, FAU the, the reserve, yeah, yeah. You know, so we, so we, you know, we've got a decent team left. But uh, the year before, I think we got to the semi-final and lost to Villa. And Eric Boonham was in that team for Albion. Uh, he's a really good footballer. He was probably the pick of the uh, pick of the prospects. Really, we'd lost another guy called Louis Barry. He went to Barcelona, for which we never got paid. That was another Albion cock-up. Uh, and he then has ended up at Villa, decent player. But Eric Boonham, just a, a really decent, decent footballer. So I'd hate to see him doing well at Villa. I really would. Mm. But, you know, I'm delighted for him and for you that he's doing well at QPR. <laughs> well, I, I definitely think he, he'll be going back to Villa at the end of this season. There's no way that, I mean, it would be a, nothing short of a miracle if we if he was playing for QPR next season. They'd probably in any sense, depends a lot on what league we're playing in. Uh, yeah. Just finally... Can I, can I, that, 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 no, but that goes to the other guy I think we're going to talk about, to Sam Field, you know, former Albion. And Eric Boonham isn't getting game time. I heard this on Sky the other night when I watched your game uh, against Norwich. Eric Boonham isn't getting game time at Villa because of their struggles. And that tends to be how managers view young players rather than give them a chance when you struggle. It's a bit like, when do you get your chance? Because if you're doing really well, why would you chuck a kid in? And if you're yeah. struggling, you feel like you can't chuck a kid in. And Sam Field was in exactly that position at the Albion. When we were struggling in the Premier League, any time we had a, a poor, poor result, even if Field played quite well, he'd be the guy to be dropped. Next season, near the top of the championship, oh, you know, we need to pick out more experienced players. Sam Field, Sam Field was really badly treated at the Albion. He was loved by the fans and they will sing. He's one of our own. We really love him. And, and mm. he was badly, unfairly treated. It was partly a result of the situation of where we were, but partly a result of boneheaded managers, I have to say. Yeah, well, that's kind of, that is quite disappointing to hear from your point of view. One of your players, actually, that is a former QPR player, Darnell Furlong. Um, yeah. well, it's a, a family that has a, pretty good lineage at QPR uh, yeah. he started playing for QPR if my memory serves me correct when we were in the Premier League and really struggling he took his chance then and was probably in and out of the side the next couple of seasons but he got his start in the Premier League and that's when the fans started to look, turn on it see him as a pretty decent asset um, so when he left that was uh that was heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, I, li I liked Furlong when he came. He had he started well at the Albion and he's got promotion with us, but he has been affected by the general malaise, really. He he has mm. not he's been in and out of the team this season. And although I like him, I like what he can bring. He's you know, he's he kind of gets up and down the pitch well, decent crosser if you've got people in the middle, which we often haven't. But he's he's been poor this season and and last season, and uh, sadly has gone off a little bit. They all need a little bit of confidence and a little bit of coaching, a little bit of what I hope Carlos Corbran can bring to the team. Okay, so final question then. You've already mentioned Wallace, and I think every QPR fan knows exactly what he's like from the many, many times he's affected games for Millwall against us. And then you've got Carl and Grant as well, who's your top goal scorer. Would they be your most threatening players? And would there be anyone else that you would pick out as a sort of big threat that us fans should be worried about this Saturday? Colin Grant is, I'm afraid to say, a bit of a joke figure amongst the Albion support. He's got a great goal-scoring record, goal record in the championship. He's got 18 goals for Huddersfield. 
in a struggling team. And then last season, exactly the same. He scored 18 goals for us, but he, he's got no control, no touch. We tend to play him as a centre forward, but really what he does, he does one thing occasionally very well, which is get the ball on the left-hand wing, cut in and hit it hard with his right foot. That's what he does. That's how he gets 18 goals, but he's not a very good footballer. And it's a Slavin Bilic pushed out the boat for him. He played some ridiculous fee for Colin Grant. So I'll be in fact, he may be injured for the game against okay. QPR, but he, he, I wouldn't consider him a threat, honestly. Wallace, if he plays in his right position wide right, definitely can be a threat. He's been a bit off colour, but I think Corbrand might be able to give him a little bit of a boost. We're hoping that Brandon Thomas Asante, who we signed, very cheap signing, 300 grand from Salford. Uh, he puts himself about a bit. He's, he's, you know, he's a League Two player playing up in the championship now, but he's got something about him. Swift on his day can be a, a decent goal scorer, but our best player in the last two matches, I find it hard to believe that I'm saying this, has been Matt Phillips. When, <laughs> and I'd, I'd written off Phillips. I mean, how long is yeah. it since it was any good at the Albion, never mind at QPR? He, came, he was quite good when he arrived, but he's, he's been poor for about three seasons. But in a very poor performance against Sheffield United, he was the best player and made a couple of chances that Grant fluffed. And against Blackpool, again, he had a decent game. So it comes to something. You, your fans will be thinking, oh, we're doing all right here. If the best they've got to frighten us with is Matt Phillips. Um, well, you know, there's been a couple of times that I've done one of these chats with opposition fans and they've given me false hope and then we've been in, <laughs> you know, Swansea well, in particular. I'd say, from, I'd say from our point of view, uh, given uh, how Rangers are at the moment, I would very... Uh, it's not beyond us to win it. It's, you know, we, we sometimes perform okay away from home. We had we played really well against Reading about four games ago when Bruce, the first match after Bruce was sacked. So we've got it in us to beat you. We're not, we're not rubbish, but, you know, we haven't been great either. We've got it in us to win. The best I'd realistically hope for would be a draw. I think that's not the question, though. Yeah, absolutely. Well, anything can happen in football in general, not just in the championship, as the Sky commentators like to say. But, Adrian, thank you so much for coming on and uh, giving us some fantastic insight into West Brom. Really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. No, listen, not be ours apart from on Saturday. Uh, likewise. Uh, good luck for the rest of the season apart from Saturday. Take care, man. Cheers. Okay, so thanks to Adrian for that uh, fantastic insight into West Brom. Um, but we have got Carlos Corbrand's number one fan here on the podcast in Dan Lambert. So it would be remiss of us not to at least actually give him a couple of minutes to explain Corbrand's tactics, why he loves him and all that sort of stuff. So, Dan, over to you. <clears throat> thanks for that introduction. Um, it's basically, well, the reason I like Corbrand is because Unlike a lot of championship managers, he's tactically fluid. Um, within the first few games he's played, I think he's changed to about three three different systems, a 3-4-3, 4-2-3-1 and 4-3-3. Um, in terms of what you can expect from him, um, he's quite, he doesn't really, he's not really a coach that kind of coach, coaches patterns. It's more kind of occupying certain areas of space. So like in particular, what I've seen from his West Brom side is um, he likes to occupy the half spaces, um, whether that be via like rotations um, or overloads. So that's kind of a big, a big part of their their game. But uh, what I thought was interesting uh, last two games was uh, the Huddersfield team. He kind of got success with last year. It was more kind of a, a mid block, more zonal approach where they kind of sit off and invite pressure. But he's kind of gone back to that um, Bielsa man to man. Um, not so much it's an extreme high press and extreme man-to-man, but it's it's probably a system, um, a shape or a system out of possession where we can kind of exploit that. Um, so that was quite interesting. But no, I think he's a good manager. Hopefully, if he gets the backing in, in, in months to come, um, he might do well there. Yeah. Uh, Micah, any thoughts on West Brom and Corberan? Yeah, no, just... just um... Sort of echoing Dan, I'd, I'd like to call Brown as Huddersfield manager and obviously um, 
he was an assistant with uh, with Bielsa at Leeds. So obviously he's got a lot of recent success in this league. Um, I do I do wonder for him though if West Brom have the patience because I look at that squad and I think age wise, personnel wise, it's going to need an overhaul and it might it might not just be a one window fix. It might be two three windows before you really. It's worth saying at this point that the guys haven't heard what you've just heard, listeners. So Adrian did say that he's kind of expecting or kind of hopes that he gets two transfer windows, obviously January and then next summer. That's a yeah. big ask. <laughs> it is. It is. And I, I think the market in January likely will be quite inflated because of the World Cup as well. Um, so it's, it's a big job for him. But I think, I think um, in terms of... Like as appointments go, this is a much more sort of positive, progressive appointment than Steve Bruce. I, I just thought that was so weird when they brought him in. Yeah. I mean, you know, you get what you kind of deserve and they've ended up in the relegation zone, which kind of went over my head a little bit. I didn't realise. I knew they were in bad form, but I kind of just thought they'd be like mid-table. I looked at it like, oh, wow, it's really <laughs> bad. Like, yeah, they're really down there. <laughs> they're really down there. Like, and I they're think not going to be challenging. Lots. How many, games less has, how many games less has Coventry played than them as well? Probably about two. Yeah, so it, it could get worse. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. This is the thing, like, this is not, you know, obviously he's getting paid a hefty amount, I imagine, called Rand. But, you know, this is not going to be a quick fix. They're not going to be doing a forest by the sounds of it and sort of Sorry, rising. Huddersfield the bottom, not Coventry, but Huddersfield have a game in hand on West Brom as well. So And Coventry could... above them have game in hand as well, I assume. Yeah. So that's the thing, the gap could increase. Yeah. It's that's a not scare. a pretty position, is it? All yeah. of a sudden, potentially for West Brom to be in the in League One, like, you know, because we're getting close to Christmas. We get, you know, after the World Cup, there's not many games in December. So, you know, realistically, all of a sudden you're halfway through the season and you are in a relegation fight. But a lot of players have probably think they're better than that. But when you have Carl and Grant up top, you kind of get what you deserve. Um, <clears throat> from, from our point of view, then, we're probably going to have to make a few changes. Um, you know, we're never quite sure who's going to be fit and who's not going to be fit. The main one, I guess, is Willock. So I'll just ask you about him. Micah and Dan, would you start Willock on Saturday? I'll let Dan go first. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, it's a tough one. Uh, you, you, if you start him, you'd only give him 60. Uh, but then, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's a tough one, isn't it? Because we've got Tuesday and then the Saturday. Well, the thing is with this is that I would probably be more tempted to start him because... Well, yeah, we don't have anything else. Like Richards and Armstrong have sudden were on the bench, suddenly disappeared from the bench again. But like, you know, him and Chair playing together are going to be a big reason for us winning games. Um, yeah, as well just win the next I, one. I would start him just because I feel as though away form has been the problem. So we, I would start him Saturday, maybe give him. 30 minutes or so Wednesday at Huddersfield and then because obviously we've struggled away from home I'd want him starting the Coventry game as well so I guess my, my aim would uh, my aim would be just to start him for Coventry if it's that you don't start him Saturday and he starts Wednesday against Huddersfield then so be it but I think the important thing is he plays 90 on Saturday because we need to fix the away form very quickly Um, Last thing then to wrap this up we have I guess, another programme column to preview, Micah? Uh, no, we actually don't. We don't. Um, okay, that's brilliant. No, we don't. I'm doing the Burnley game. Burnley. First game after the, uh, first game after the World Cup. So, um, yeah. so we missed the week then again? Uh, yeah. We've been skipped. That doesn't hurt. Um, yeah, okay. So I guess the the only other thing would be Dan's piece on West Brom previewing this weekend. Dan, do you want to sort of just let the listeners know where they could find that, of course, and how and what you're you've written about? Yeah. So, wait, can you hear me? Yeah. Um, yes. Technical brilliance on this podcast, as per usual. <laughs> oh, can you hear me now? 
yes. Yeah, so basically, um, sorry about the piece. It's basically just a look at kind of like what, what Carlos Corbran has, has implemented in the last, uh, the first two games of his, his reign. So if you, if you want to kind of check out how West Brom are going to set up, then yeah, feel free to. Perfect. Uh, so that's everything for this week. Thank you very much uh, to Micah and to Dan for coming on and uh, going through a fantastic podcast as per usual. You can follow all of us on Twitter. You can follow our generation on Twitter. You can review us. There is a website that you can review us. I was meant to write it down, but I've forgotten. I think it's Chartable. And someone wrote a very nice review on that earlier this week uh, and gave us five stars on that. Um, so really appreciate it if you do uh, feel like we are worthy of a little bit of time and a bit of a review. That's fantastic. If you use Apple Podcasts and Spotify, you can review in app and give us five stars on there. Um, And that also really helps, makes us more attractive prospect to any new listeners. So thank you very much for listening. uh, And until next time, come on you ours.